Hey everybody and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja, your film director, as it were, and joining me from his long sojourn across the pond, <laughs> uh, he is our co-host, he's my co-host, my good friend, Matt. I drop a guy for a film, but I never drop a film for a guy, Matt Marchetti. <laughs> Matt, how was your trip? How you doing? Uh, I am good. The trip was fantastic. I think uh, it was just great things to see, great things to eat and drink, really nice people, very humbling in some regards to sort of not be or to not we're not number one, but to not feel like you're number one when you're in a when you're in a crowd of people, particularly in France. I thought that was really a humbling um, experience. You're uh, always number one to me, though. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of a lot of movie related stuff. We went to the Harry Potter studio tour. Uh, we saw a James Bond um, a vehicle exhibition at the British or the London Film Ooh. Museum. So we saw like all the cars used in the films, which was a little exciting for me. Um, yeah, no, it was just it was great. It was great. I'm happy to be back, but it was a it was a fantastic experience, and I would go back to both places again. So yeah, there is a lot of country to see. There is. Uh, so yeah, and while we are glad to have you back, we definitely missed you last week. That was just me. All alone, sad, recording into a microphone, so it's nice to have someone to play off of. Uh, well, uh, fittingly, we um, you went to, you went to France and you picked one of the nine French films to have won Best Foreign Language uh, Film at the Academy Awards. And I must say, there's uh, I haven't seen really any of the other ones, but I think this is my favorite of them. It is Francois Truffaut's Day for Night mm. or La Nuit Américaine. I, mm. I butchered that completely. <laughs> uh, I, one of the uh, from 1973, one of the great movies about making movies. And mm. Matt, have you ever had you ever seen this movie before? I had not seen it actually, and I, yeah, it's well, funny. Uh, you know, you asked me to choose a, a foreign film, and I just sort of went through and um, I just looked. And anything, uh, any movie about making movies is something I'm always into. So I saw it, and I hadn't even I didn't even look at the director or anything. I was just like, "Yep, that's what it's going to be." And then I saw it. <laughs> I saw it was Truffaut, and I said, "Oh well, this will be this will be a pleasant surprise, I imagine." <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So that was I had not seen it before, and I was okay. delighted to see it this time. I'm actually surprised you hadn't seen it because I, I saw know. this back in college in I think Mr. Gunther Hughes's class. It was one of our one of our many eccentric film professors. Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah, I, as just as one of those. It's one of those like, here's what you're going to be dealing with, really. Like, you think you're yeah. making art? No, you're just going to be dealing with a lot of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's stuck with me ever since. It's a very fun time. Uh, a love letter to those to the people who actually go ahead and make the movies. Uh, I, I it was a joy getting to uh, rewatch it again for mm-hmm. for this for this podcast. Uh, the film Stay for Night. The director Francois Truffaut, starring Jacqueline Bisset. Valentina Cortez, Donny, Francois Truffaut, that's, you know, basically playing himself, yep. Jean-Pierre Almont and Jean-Pierre Liard, plus many, many others. And it, uh, we are going to take a short break, and we return to talk briefly about the Academy Awards that year for foreign language film. We have, have already discussed it in our episode of The Sting from that year. 
and maybe talk a little bit about some of our other favorite movies that are about movie making. Be now right this back. This is a most important award, aside from the obvious reasons, simply because this year's foreign film is eligible for next year's Best Picture Award. The nominations for Best Screen Language Films are Day for Night, France, The House on Chalucha Street, Israel, L'Invitation, Switzerland, The Pedestrian, West Germany, Turkish Delight, Netherlands. Thank you. And the winner is France for Day for Night. Accepting the award for France and Day for Night, the producer-director, Mr. Francois Truffaut. Merci beaucoup. I need Jinkiri. Uh, I am very happy because uh, because why? Because uh, Day for Night is a film uh, about uh, show people. You are all of you movie people. Because that I think this price is yours. But uh, if you agree with me, I will keep it for you. All right. Thank you. Knight took home Best Foreign Language Film at the 1973 Academy Awards. But it was also nominated for two other things. Matt Marchetti, what were those things? Was it two or was it... I, I see, so you, and you're always better at this than I am, but I feel like it was a weird situation where it was nominated pre, the following year. Uh, I read yeah, that somewhere. Yeah. Am I right? It's some weird because, yeah, because uh, films can be... Since the world was a much small, uh, larger place back then, it, it was a yeah. while to get into it. So let me let me check the handy duty. But I want to say it was yeah. So yeah, 1975. It looks like supporting actress for for Valentina Cortez, director for Truffaut, and then I believe screenplay, original screenplay for Truffaut, uh, uh, Jean Louis Richard, and Suzanne Schiffman as well. If I'm not mistaken. I got 1974 here myself. But there you go. Yeah, okay, but, you know, yeah, yeah. Like the Pro, the yeah, what he said. <laughs> okay. We're experts here. We are self-proclaimed experts. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really, that's really about it. So it's, everything's just like a Wikipedia entry or whatever. Or something like that. that was the most day for night type situation we could have put ourselves in on this podcast, yeah, right? You're, just you're, organized chaos. Yeah, you're just, uh, you're, you're, you're seeing behind the, behind the scenes. Um, on that note, um, actually, on a different note, sorry, this is all it's all slapdash. Uh, what what was this competition that year in nineteen uh, the nineteen seventy four Academy Awards? Obviously, these are for the films released in nineteen seventy three. It was a bunch of films I had never seen before. Uh, actually, like all of them, I hadn't seen. Right, so yeah. in a pretty wide range of stuff. Right, Israel, Switzerland, West Germany, the Netherlands. I hope I'm actually looking at the right stuff this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. You are. Uh, so, we, so we had Turkish Delight from the Netherlands, The Pedestrian from West Germany, 
the invitation from Switzerland, ooh, and then ooh, ooh. Um, I, th- I think that is Swiss for the invitation. The invitation. I believe you're right. I'm going to look it up, and yes, he's correct. Uh, and then the last film was The House on, well, I mean, and I'm going to butcher that one. It looks like Chiloch Street. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah, Israel. Um, I'd never heard of any of these films, had you? Yeah. No? Yeah, Nothing, it, no. It, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those movies, it's one of those where I can safely say that this is probably, the Day for Night was probably the one that was going to win all the awards mm. for, you know, it's, Francois Truffaut, he's the you know, the, ma- the father of uh, the French New Wave cinema. It's 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 got everything. It is it is a hooray for Hollywood. It's a movie about making movies, but this is definitely seems like the movie that would that that would win. I'm just gonna take hmm. a gander. A lot of these are probably either very odd comedies or dramas. Um, safe bet. Safe bet. Safe bet. <laughs> safe bet. Yeah. But uh, okay, getting back to all right, we we had that note. Other new, next note. Matt, what is, uh, are you? You said you're a fan of the movies about movie making, about about actual filmmaking. What are some of your uh, what are some of your favorites and why? Um, well, I mean, I it, not to screw the pooch too early on this one, but I I would say that this this film we're going to discuss, Day for Night, is now sort of at the top of the list. Maybe it's just because it's the most recent, but um, there's something really fantastic about it. Um, I, ones that always stick with me. Um. Something like, even though it's not about making movies, it's about the movie, you know, the process of, or not the process of movie making, but it's about Hollywood. I l- always loved uh, Sunset Boulevard. I loved Fellini's Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other one? The uh, the crazy Don Quixote one, uh, Lost in La Mancha. Oh, it's sort of yeah. like a weird, I can't even explain that movie without like frying every part of my brain because <laughs> it's this strange like mockumentary film. I, I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. Um, so, so I guess if, if you're going to ask me to, pigeonhole myself to one it probably would have been eight and a half that's probably one of the first ones i saw that was sort of directly about the the struggle of filmmaking in a weirdly psychological way yeah, it's, it's, fellini had gone off the rails well yes in the in the best possible way yes yeah, i agree and he, uh, we will actually we will be discussing that in a future episode as that did win fellini one of his many best foreign language oscars uh in a later episode um it's it's always odd because there are movies about movies making and then there are documentaries mm. like the behind the scenes things and it's uh they sometimes like you like you say uh it it can it can blur the line the lost in la mancha is part documentary sort of because it's about <laughs> yeah. this movie that didn't get made but fun fact is now actually getting made some oh, wow. 16 years after it uh, after uh, Terry Gilliam you know everything fell apart on him um one of my well, one of my favorite uh, is this great film I think from the uh, from the nineties called Living in Oblivion with uh, Steve Buscemi and a very young uh, Tyrion Lannister whose actual name escaped me right now he's just he's just Tyrion Peter Dinklage there Peter we go Dinklage. Dinklage that's that's really really funny uh, it's a little more structured than this uh, than this film which is just spastic and off the walls and <laughs> great but if you haven't seen that you should. Definitely check that out. Uh, a couple others. There's the great American movie, which is more of a documentary about it, but it's 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 one of those ones that really gets into the what it ta- what it takes to make a movie these days. If you if anyone's ever said no 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 it's Coven, then you're in good company. You should, you should be friends with that person because uh, <laughs> that's that's a great line from it. And finally, the underseen and God spoke about some people trying to make a uh, a a 
biblical movie epic that just goes hilariously wrong. I, I would definitely recommend that as well. But I'm going to have to spoil things a little bit and say that I think Day for Night may be on top of all of those as it is uh, a lot of them, a lot of the other ones, they seem to be poking fun at the uh, the Hollywood types. And this one has nothing but love in it. And I can't wait to discuss that with you all uh, after this short break. She lives in illusion. Emotion is skill. What are you doing here? Monsieur and I want to be alone tonight. Get out. And this I do not accept. It's hopeless, you'll never make it. It's not my fault! Cut! No, it's not my fault! Love, a device. A man may be a girl. It's an inflatable dummy. It sits on the seat. Hey, what's going on? And day can serve for night. So Matt, we've described Day for Night as a movie about movie making, and that's pretty accurate plot description, but what does IMDB say the plot of this film is? Oh yeah, I got it right here. Uh, a committed film director, st- director a, fi- a committed film director, a f- committed film director struggles to complete his movie while coping with a myriad of crises, personal and professional, among the cast and crew. Bam. Uh, yeah, and having participated in on many a uh, film set in the past. Mm. Would you say this is a pretty accurate process of that um, that whole deal? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, would, I would say, yeah, there's a, a complete organized chaos to it. It's almost like a, a cliche. You know, it's like this idea that there's all these, like, individual parts that have to come together, this little family. You always hear about this and these, you know, these little five-minute special features on DVDs and Blu-rays where they're like, oh, it was a great to work with this person. It's great to work with this. Like working with a family, blah, blah, blah. But it, it is sort of if, if that family was constantly at each other's throats and um, trying to make ends meet in the most desperate ways possible. <laughs> so it's like a Dust Bowl family trying to make something that a Dust Bowl family could never afford to make. <laughs> but, but you still feel like you're never going to be able to do it. Um, yeah, so I think it's pretty damn accurate in my estimation. <laughs> yeah. There's, they never, in film school, they prepare you how to actually run the equipment and set up a shot, mm-hmm. the lighting, just all the technical things, what they never, ever prepare you for, and I think that's why they showed us this movie, was just the amount of personal stuff you have to deal with. Everyone has a schedule, everyone's got a girlfriend or a boyfriend they gotta deal with, there's always some last minute crises actors bail actors get delayed in some cases actors die mm-hmm. um, it's a an organized chaos is great it's a it's a it's a beautiful dance where nobody nobody really knows 
what the music is. Yeah, but yeah. they're trying their best, anyways. I've um, people have often asked, so what exactly does a director do? And I just want to point at this movie like, motherfuck everything. They do every little thing. If uh, what I love about Day for Night is that it this is a movie about details, mm-hmm. and there are so many details that go into every single frame of a movie the lighting the hair the, it's got to be just perfect little th- books in the background the w- the way the gun looks it's mm-hmm. chosen for you know how it you know sets against the snow it's it so accurately captures that and someone like Truffaut i think is ideal for for doing that because he is a is a very exacting director the french new wave was all about like symbolism and everything Mm-hmm. The meaning and all and everything you see and there is so much to take in in this movie that um but it's also what's great is that it's also very accessible to the people you don't have to you don't have to know exactly what the the script girl or you know that's a, an older term does or you know how the how the, how the camera works you just have to know that these are the the people it's a very humanizing thing we often see the uh the artists and technicians behind filmmaking as these almost these quasi supernatural forces that somehow come together and make mm. uh make our art and entertainment but they're really just people who uh i, th- I this movie shows just happen to not kill one another during <laughs> during a, a weeks or months long uh film shoot which is mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that having been said there's not it's hard to really tell like what the the story is the movie itself it's just the making of the movie and um in that regards it's not a tra- it doesn't feel like a quite a traditional uh movie there's you know setup and then you know escalation and then denouement climax it's it's a lot it's a lot of vignettes and so uh, so now I want to like break it down by the, the characters like what do you think of them well, we'll start with uh the guy at the top and that's uh Truffauts as um, director Ferrand. Mm-hmm. What did you uh, What did you think of him, and how did, how did you have you dealt with someone like him before uh, on film shoots? Oh, that second question is really good. Uh, I I really liked him. I always I've seen him in interviews before, and I always just feel like this sort of I know he's not a cool guy in the sense, and he wouldn't consider himself, or he wouldn't have considered himself cool. But he's something about the way he carries himself. Um, in this film, and I've, like I said, I've seen him in other interviews. He just, I like the way he kind of carries himself. He seems sort of like a little awkward, but very in control of what he's doing. Um, I like his character in the film because, you know, you sort of see, you know, you get some of his narration. I, you're talking about what, what a director does, and I think he says something, and I'm going to paraphrase probably incorrectly, but he says, a director is someone who's just asked questions all day long, basically, and you have to answer them. And sometimes you don't know the answers. And I feel like that's maybe the best definition of what a movie director does. They're just asked questions all day long. And that's literally like what he ends up doing. He's being asked questions. He's thrown into these situations. And he has to sort of handle it um, with grace and that he doesn't lose his mind. I mean, the character and Truffaut, the director, um, is is fascinating. I, I just think it's, it's great. Um, I also like that he takes a little bit of time to indulge in sort of his, you know, his childhood, whether or not that's a, a, rea- a reality or a fiction where he 
he um, is walking to the movie theater at night, steals this, uh, the stills from Citizen Kane. And I feel like that's just a really, at first, it seems like this really dark, terrifying, like French new wave moment. Like someone's <laughs> going to get shot because it's in black and white as opposed to the rest of the film in color. And then it's just this really sweet, like adolescent scene that feels like something out of the 400 blows, which is, I feel like it's perfect um, yeah. in some respects. So I really liked his character. Um, I liked his character and I like, I like Truffaut as a person. I like that. I like that that flashback scene because it's I think we all have a moment like that as you know cinephiles as movie makers even you know people who do a, a you know a quasi successful podcast on the internet about mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. We, all, we, we all have that moment when we're younger when we're like yes movies are where that is where it is at I'm gonna do this I'm, I'm in love with it whether you're going to your local theater and hanging out there all the time or your video store you're you're doing something with movies in, in his case it was stealing stills of citizen kane well, arguably one of the greatest movies of all time mm-hmm. and you hope that maybe one day you get to do that and the odds are really stacked against you and so what you end up doing you end up making some schlocky family drama called meet pamela <laughs> and you know what you end up happy with it. That's what I like about Ferran is that he's not this great. He's not this great artist like Truffaut is. He's a journeyman director who is there. He's a game manager. He's just gonna. We're gonna get this thing done on time and hopefully to God under budget. <laughs> but that's where he wants to be. Uh, he says to uh, to one character, "People like us are only happy in our work," and I think that's mm-hmm. a very accurate summation of. A lot of the drive that technicians and artists on movies have is that you know mm-hmm. they know like they know they're making crap sometimes they they do know that they don't care because they're making movies and they are a part of the collected film history at that point. It's mm-hmm. um, it's, it's it's a very lovely like I'm glad I'm glad he wasn't a showboat or some like demanding dic- dictatorial director like a right. James Cameron. He was just he was there. To let us into the world, so to speak. He was mm-hmm. like always. He was always a part of the action, but never really in the action itself. He was. He was. I imagine like kind of a dad who's just sick of that shit. And um, I, and I do have to say, watching him here, he is so smooth. He's so like carefree that I think like he, had he not been a director, he would have been an excellent, excellent actor and he was he was actually an actor and there was there was one moment i noticed when they're molding this butter for <laughs> our temperamental actress and it was this long large conical thing and i thought Wait, where have i se- where have i seen something like that before and i remembered that oh yes this is from this is like the potato uh mountain in close encounters of the third kind which had uh-huh. Francois Truffaut in it yeah. at the very end. So I'm like, Interesting. Oh. And I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure Spielberg, he saw every movie in the Truffaut film. So that's, he may have, I'm not saying he got it, he got it from there, but I'm sure he's seen Truffaut and was like, yes, I want to work with him. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, two of, I think two of my least favorite characters because they're so obnoxious, Lillian and Alphonse. <laughs> we have Lillian, who is the, she is the slate is she the slate person or something? She's some she's some very low level production assistant. Yeah. Uh, and Alphonse, the uh, the the uh, the male lead, so to speak. Oh, I wanted to slap the shit out of Alphonse. He does it so well. He's he's the typical Hollywood actor 
man baby hasn't grown up uh, but he's just so fucking whiny honestly it, like without him i think the movie would fall apart because he doesn't he does help a lot of the drama come along because he's so needy and so pathetic mm-hmm. but um Lillian, i don't think was any was any better and i what i think helps is that these are essentially these are just children and a lot of them have you know, I, I don't know their backstory I feel like there's we can infer that maybe no none of them really had happy childhoods or maybe they had two happy childhoods for instance Alphonse and he just wants a, he he just wants a mother and it, um what a, what what was hmm. your take uh, what was your, your take on them So yeah Lillian doesn't do much for me I think she's just sort of like you you've seen her a million times she's just kind of cold and you're not surprised when she runs off with this other guy at the end she just doesn't seem like a very likable person but I actually found myself i didn't dislike alphonse but i and i but i didn't really like him either there was a moment where i was just like uh he he runs away i think one of the times he runs away and and one of the one of the guys finds him and they're like you'll never guess where he is and he's riding a go-kart and he just like power slides into frame like a two-year-old and i like almost applauded i was laughing so hard it was one of like the funniest things i've ever seen like that because I literally was not able to guess where he was. No, he was riding go-karts. And that speaks beautifully to your idea about these these two being like children, right? He What does he do? He goes to a place where it's mostly children because he wants to revert back to that moment. So I didn't like him, but I liked him in the movie. I wouldn't want to be friends with him in real life. Like, he'd probably be obnoxious, and I don't think I would be friends with him. But there was something about him that was like, you know, you just wanted to, like, slap him a little bit. But you sort of understood where he was coming from in some regards. I don't know. I don't. And maybe it's just because the because the the actor uh, Jean Pierre Liard is the guy from the Four Hundred Blows, and I just realized that immediately when watching it. And I was wait, just like, oh. what? Whoa, whoa, whoa! He's he's wait, is he Anton? He is. Yeah. Oh no shit. Yeah, no shit. Oh, that was. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So I, at that point, I sort of was endeared a little bit to him. Like this isn't maybe maybe this is like an older version of him. And he's still sort of like running away from things, and I don't know. I just, I, you know, maybe I was, I was doing too much subtext, but I, I just sort of was endeared to him a little yeah. bit. I believe there are at least two sequels to the Four Hundred Blows. There's a whole Anton Daniel series that Truffaut made, uh, one of his twenty-five movies, twenty-three. Movies? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, he. I mean. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to like the guy in order to like the character. I do like the character. I do. He's just, but he's so obnoxious. Yeah, um, no, he is. He's really obnoxious. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's so obnoxious. But I can all uh, with a lot of this, I can see myself in there and go, "Oh yeah, I was, uh, I was like that." Too. You know? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> and I feel, and I feel, I felt, felt like crap after that. Uh, we, you know, you, you can't talk about day for night without talking about Jacqueline Bisset, who, um, first and foremost, we're just gonna get this right out of the way, audience. Stunningly gorgeous, absolutely. Um, one of the great, uh, one of the great actresses from that from that era. Uh, she did. I, you know what? She was like lovely in this role. She was the right. Um, I expected someone to walk in and be a diva and yeah. be, uh, have be very demanding, but she was very professional, which yeah. made which made it when she had her little weird emotional break and needing the the butter and the, all that all, all of her little odd idiosyncrasies it 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 made it more endearing than just annoying because mm. they actually try to humanize her they you know these people are, a lot of times they aren't 
necessarily always stars. They're just actors who mm-hmm. maybe have gotten famous. Uh, I was wondering what your take was on on her. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think you, you said that really well. I, I think I had expectations, and they sort of set you up this way. Like, the first time you see her is in, is in publicity stills from the studio, and they just talk about her hair and how she looks, and if she's sexy or looks sexy, looks mysterious, all the kind of almost, you know, slightly sexist stuff that, that two men are going to talk about when choosing her. So you sort of expect that type, right? They make, they give her this big dressing room. She has kind of these top billings. She's very, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she shows up, and she's this very warm charming personality that tries to help others around her yeah um, she's concerned about not knowing enough how to speak french well enough um i just I, yeah she was very endearing and i thought that that was really a great choice particularly when you know you could you it's very easy to sort of revert a female character to something really sexist she wasn't she was a really i thought she was a really well-written female character in a lot of regards. Um, I think that, you know, she's there's the breakdown type stuff, but that has precedent in the movie. They don't, she doesn't right. just have like a nervous breakdown. She talks about having that in her, in her background and all the stuff that comes with the guy she's married to now. And so you sort of get it. And um, yeah, I just, I felt like a nice, she was very like a, a very warm character in the film. I thought she was. And to your point, it would be very easy to write all of these characters in the broadest most stereotypical mm-hmm. strokes mm-hmm. possible. And uh, to Truffaut's credit, nobody feels that way. Uh, not not even Severine, who maybe kind of hams it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, these are like these are people, and they feel like real characters with their own histories and all of their own bullshit to deal with that is inevitably going to come out on set. Because like Alexander says, they just they wear their hearts all the time in, mm-hmm. uh, in a brilliant speech delivered by uh by the actor uh one of my one of my favorite like moments that said that okay this is not just a almost a screwball comedy this is you know we Truffaut can can you know turn you around mm-hmm. very quickly and you're listening to something very true about the uh, about the human emo- uh the human experience that um but he's ve- that he's very good at he's he's very good at like walking that line between tones and having it be like work very very well. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Um, the question I was wondering is like to the uninitiated because we're obviously we've worked on film sets, whether in college or professionally. We have gone to film school. We watch just tons of movies out there. Mm. Is this movie just navel gazing? No, I and I'm gonna I'm gonna search for the second point. I, I know it's a no. One you you just stated one that sort of pulls it out of that that it isn't just about like the process of filmmaking, right? There's something sort of true and human that's going on in there. Um, but I would also say that it it shows you not just the the world of filmmaking, but sort of the world and the mind of of artists in general, right? Which to some people seems like a sort of throwaway profession. Um, it's sort of easy to say like, well, you just get paid a ton and you sit in front of a camera and you act and blah, blah, blah. But there is something you have to sort of open yourself up to, um, everybody, not just the actors, the, the entire crew, you have to sort of open yourself up in a lot of ways in terms of your vulnerability. Um, and I think that that's something people don't really understand. I think they know that actors have to get into a certain headspace to do certain things, but I don't think they realize that like the director needs to do that and the writer and even the script girls and they, they have to sort of. So everybody sort of um, works together in this sort of 
like you said, beautiful way to, to make this really, we know the film is going to be kind of a stinker. It doesn't look like it's going to be a great film, yet they sort of attack it um, like it's their pride and joy in a lot of ways. And I, and I think that that's sort of, that's sort of fascinating that even like a bad movie, this is a point I make all the time that even a bad movie has some, it's somebody's art. And I'll, I, I you know, I, I write reviews on Instagram and, and, a, and a, a friend of, a friend of ours, who's very um, morbid and negative about many things. I'm sure you can know who I'm talking about. I think I might know. Yeah. He, he said like, you always say good things about every movie. You don't write bad reviews. And I said, look, man, like I watched it. I bought it. Like, I'm not mad that I watched it. That's somebody's art. Whether it's, you know, objectively crap to a lot of people, that's somebody's art in a lot of ways. So I always try to find something positive to say about it. That's just me as a person, too. But I think that this movie sort of reveals that there's more than just the basics to filmmaking for a lot of people who wouldn't be able to understand that. And plus, like you said earlier, it is a very accessible movie in a lot of ways. You don't have to know that much about filmmaking to understand it. Um, you can sort of just jump right into it. So I, I think it really isn't just navel gazing. I think there is a lot to it beyond just that, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Even you, you, you do say it best. Even bad movies are made with love, and yeah, you know, it does. We do have to remind ourselves that, especially in this day and age, when we just want to tear people down on social mm. media, that yeah, there are there are terrible terrible movies out there. There are plenty of god-awful films that are just just bad on a storytelling emotional level but that doesn't mean that just because michael bay is making a fifth transformers movie <laughs> that's mostly nonsense it doesn't mean that michael bay isn't totally in love with this stuff because he, like if i will criticize michael bay till the end of time because his movie a lot of his movies are trash armageddon's amazing by the way it's one of the best movies of all time <laughs> but to say that he doesn't love the this medium, that he doesn't love filmmaking, is that is patently false. And everybody yes. here in eight and a half, they love uh, eight and a half. Well, in, in eight and a half, in day for night, they love making movies. Uh-huh. They love it, like they say, uh, like I said at the beginning, they would uh, drop a guy for a film. They would never drop a film for a guy. That's how much this, this is. They need it. They're they're junkies, and you know they're gonna they're gonna break it. They're gonna break on this movie, and they're just gonna go right to right to the next one mm-hmm. because that's that's what that's what they need. They they need to be on set. They need that sense of weird community you get when you're just sort of tossed into something. And mm-hmm. and like you know, so we you know, we 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 criticize the film. We don't criticize the love of the people making it. We can say that they had a bad performance in there or their direction was terrible but at the end of the day man if you don't love if you don't love making it and you don't love watching it you don't love reviewing it then you just shouldn't be doing it like i love seeing bad movies i think the mummy like the mummy's a bad movie we both know that i love it i love the guys behind it they clearly had something in there they wanted to say and and, and god love them for that and that's um that's what i think this movie really really gets at is that mm. um they show that movies are a lot of work they're not really magical they're a lot of <laughs> it's just a lot it's just a lot of illusion and um duplicity on their part to make things look like other things mm-hmm. we can't stress how much work they are just to get one shot you have to wrangle all these extras and 
get the car coming in ex- at exactly the right time. There's there's so much you don't even think about when you when you as a viewer are just watching this. And uh, Day for Night nails that completely. Um, Agreed. Matt, would you go see Meet Pamela? Oh, I, okay. How about this? this is, yeah, I have a pretty easy answer or simple okay. answer to this. If I just saw the trailer for the movie, for the trailer for Meet Pamela, no. But if, if Meet Pamela actually was a movie that they were shooting, like if Day for Night was like a mockumentary or a documentary slash film, I would now go see it because I feel like for me, it's the, it's the, it's the equivalent of, um, like buying an album from a band you like and then or downloading it or getting it on like a burnt disc or a, a flash drive from somebody. When I buy an album, I really like put more time into it. I want to really like, I want to read the lyrics. I want to look at the art. I want to get into it. If I just get it somewhere, it's sort of like, well, it doesn't have any weight to me. So if seeing the making of Meet Pamela in Day for Night, I actually want to see it just to see how some of this stuff comes together. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I would, that's how it is. And I, it's not a movie normally that I would want to see a melodrama not something I'd be super into, but because of the, the clear love by the, the people in Day for Night making the film, I want to see it as a result. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's a strange feeling. I feel like it's a really strange no, feeling. No, I know it's a it's a great thing. I mean, you, I like to I like to see people people's time and investment rewarded, and you know, people are putting a lot of time into this into this into Day for Night into making Meet Pamela. So, like, if I saw this, I'd go, well. Everyone was a, a family, and yeah, there were some tough times. Like they they made this. I think I think I would owe it to them to go to go see it at some point. And like, if there could be some actual interesting moments there at the at the very least. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I will. You know, I think I think back in the certainly back in the nineties when they show like the making of such and such a movie, I was like, yeah, I need to go see this movie now, man. It looks so cool, mm-hmm. even if, even if it's crap. It looks so cool. But um, speaking of now and um then and now could they make a day for night movie in these times for a studio film do you think it would work I, yeah i mean i mean <laughs> I, I think anything i think anything can work whether or not it's good or not i mean look at our presidency um oh but <laughs> um yeah I, I think it it could work i think it would be a very different film just in the in in sort of the uh, technical side of filmmaking now, right? It's just things are just done so differently. So, so I think you could make it work, but I don't think you could make it work in the same way. I think just even like the the sort of sleight of hand stuff that you see the the candle that's that lights but has a light on the other side to project light onto the wall. Like they wouldn't, or maybe they still would do something like that nowadays. But they're going to tend to do do things with with computer graphics. The yeah. the fake snow they use at the end of the movie, right? That would that would be the most unimpressive scene ever because it would just be a bunch of guys in front of computers typing ones and zeros to make snow um and it just wouldn't be that exciting so i think you could do it um i just think it would be a very very different movie and i don't think a lot of people would want to see it right unfortunately i mean uh, the average viewers maybe would want to see it i i think there's an intimacy that's lost on filmmaking these days big budget hollywood studio filmmaking I'm, yes. I'm sure. Th- I'm sure there are a lot of stories emerging from like all the various sets and like the friendships and families that are created. But with everything being so corporate, so clinical, and at the end of the day, so freaking huge with mm. so many people to wrangle, um, I, d- I, th- I think you might lose a little bit of sense of that that intimacy, that tight knitness. 
mm-hmm. knittedness that day for night uh, displays very well. Like you can make a you can make a you can make a movie about making a movie for like uh, you know some bunch of high schoolers who are making a movie mm-hmm. you know, shooting on their iPhone and they're like six of them. But you know if like I can't see them doing a Marvel film this way. Although that would be brilliant if they made a Marvel movie about a Marvel movie. It, it could work on some yep. level. Yep, like I know what you're thinking. Yeah. But you're right. I think the computer the computer graphics kind of it makes things easier to just say, yeah, we'll just fix it in post. It's fine. We're just gonna we're just gonna wing it. It'll be fine. We'll add the snow. We'll add the guns. The sound effects. Everything. Everything afterwards. We don't have to. Don't, don't worry about it now. The background characters. They're fine. We're just gonna CGI them in. Right. <laughs> it's and it's you can you can tell a great story still, but you lose a lot of the the fun and camaraderie of that. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely agree with that. All right, last question. Uh, second last question, actually. Uh, this or eight and a half? Oh, man. I, I So I'd, to give you a real answer, I'd have to watch them back to back. But in terms of just... So in terms of just sort of entertainment value and like just joy I felt watching a movie, I, I would have to give it to this. And I've been a huge fan of eight and a half for like years, like, you know, film school years. Um, I think that... Eight and a half might be more, I mean, it probably is more psychologically stimulating just because of the way the movie's set up. But I also feel it, so I feel like that's a double-edged sword. I feel like that's good, but I also don't like it sometimes. I, really, I want to see the movie-making stuff rather than the, the, you know, his issues with women and all that. I mean, it's fascinating, um, but I just feel like, oh, yeah, look, an Italian guy has got a weird obsession with women. That's strange. <laughs> I don't know any Italians who have weird obsessions with women. I mean, it's done very well, and I love the movie still. But there was something so kind of buoyant and, and just adorable about this movie that I just loved every second of it. I just was just completely into it. And it's it's rare that I'll laugh watching something by myself, but I was laughing, like, a lot. Sometimes out of a joke, sometimes out of just, just sheer ridiculousness of a, of a sequence. But... Um, yeah, and I think too. If I mean, I have a film class with high school students. I would show this film. I, I might show this film this year. I won't show them eight and a half. I'll, I've shown them clips from eight and a half, but I feel like they're just going to be like, "What is going on? Why is that kite a person? What is happening?" But I think they would like this because it would it reveals sort of the intricacies and the details, like you've said and like I've said about filmmaking. I think they would find it fascinating. Um, and I mean, I don't know if that's a yeah yeah yeah. yeah. That, so day for night. That's an answer. I would uh, I would love to hear the reactions to them if uh, if and when you do show them. This well, you'll movie. hear them. Oh, okay, we'll hear them. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, as for myself, this is a better movie about movie making. Mm. Eight and a, eight and a half is an excellent character drama about yeah. all the shit that Fellini was going through. So so yeah, I mean, you can I guess I'm copping out and saying like they're both great in their own way. Yeah, but uh, as but they in, are in terms of but. In terms of entertainment, I think I'd turn this one on over eight and a half almost any day of the week, just because there's, uh, it's edited so well. It's got a zip and a pep in it. It's it, it never it never ling- it, I never felt like it overstayed its welcome on any scene, really. Even even the one they were just doing the same lines over and over again. The act the acting was so good that it it you made it it made it uh, bearable and like actually kind of funny and darkly comic. Yeah. <laughs> so um at the end of the day the question we always ask did day for night deserve the best foreign language academy award that year yeah i feel like we've, we've sort of leaned toward this the entire time and, and again it's a qualified remark because we haven't seen the other films but 
Um, yeah, I, I, it seems like they made the right choice. Um, the you know the other nominations for the you know supporting actress, director, and screenplay. Um, I think they 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 help speak to that point as well. But just the fact that it's a you know a French film from 1973 about movie making in 1972 and 73, um, that still is damn entertaining. It's it's well paced. It's well put together, even though it's it's in a sort of vignette style. Um, it could very well become like this self-indulgent mess, but it never does. It gets close to doing it sometimes, but then it walks away from it. And I think that's that's Truffaut's sort of balancing act. Um, so there's something really fantastic and kind of like magical about how he does that, um, particularly from a director who can be, you know, talks about very like watching this next to the 400 blows would be a very interesting experience because there's be. there's a little bit of this joy in the 400 blows. But that's a, a much more to me, a more, you know, more grounded, serious film in a lot of regards. And this is a serious film, in too. But it's there's something light and springy about it that just is just fantastic. So, yes, I think I think they made the right decision. Agreed on all accounts. It's a movie about at its core love. And it mm-hmm. just so happens to be it's the love of the, the process itself. You know, uh, my wife and I, we, we're, we tell our daughter, who is four months old, who can't understand us, that it's not, you know, it's not the end result necessarily that matters. It's the process that you use to get there that, you know, can cause a lot of friction. And I got to say, the process of movie making is it's a hard one, but it can be a very satisfying one, regardless of how crappy the end product is at the end. Mm-hmm. And luckily for us, Day for Night is a fantastic movie, even now, 40-some-odd years later. It's still just as easy and accessible as it uh, was back then, I'm, I'm sure. And I can only imagine that many a film class, both yours and others, will be watching this from now until the end of time. Until, or at least until we stop making movies on set. And we just It's all holograms and CGI oh and stuff. And that will be a sad day indeed, let me tell you. Yes, it will. You have been listening to Oscar Watch. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you hear, you can drop us a line at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on social media at oscarwatchpod, and be sure to like and review us on iTunes. It really helps to get the word out. Matt Marchetti, where can people find you? You guys can find me on Instagram. My handle is uh, movie underscore matinee with two Ts. Um, I try to do movie reviews a day uh but you know life gets in the way and you miss some i'm doing the harry potter series up to fantastic beasts and where to find them um in honor of going to england and going to the harry potter studios uh and then i'll be back to my typical probably like italian art film monday and then trashy exploitation film from the late 70s on tuesday and then Japanese animation on wednesday <laughs> so i want to get back into a rhythm of sort of doing uh, different things every day so that that's coming that's coming okay. soon baby well that's fantastic find it find them there also i'm getting back in the instagram game matt you have inspired me i used to run a thing called same night movie review it kind of went dormant when i had the kid didn't have time to write long form reviews so i'm doing the instagram reviews uh like like mr matthew marchetti on there you can find me at same night movie as well and of course oscar watch pod Thank you so much for listening. We'll let you know what the next week's film is. And until then, we will see you on the red carpet.